Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. So far in our study of Hebrews, uh, the emphasis has been uh, to declare that Christ is exalted. That is essentially the, the most significant theme of the entire book. He is exalted, and as <clears throat> we saw a couple weeks ago, the salvation he gives is great. And yet, despite the fact that we, we know and believe these truths, the, the hurts and burdens that we experience in this world sometimes just seem to pile up and become like a, a great mountain to us. And we struggle with this reality of who Christ is and what we have in him, and, and yet we, we have the realities of, of what life is like. And it's hard for us at times to, to see how they connect. Uh, some days just seem to pummel us. This past Monday was one of those for me. Uh, woke up to the message from Pastor Sergey explaining Lita's situation and the gravity of it and just the heartbreak coming through. And then immediately after that, uh, a friend I've known for many, many years from Ukraine named Yulia uh, started texting me her mother in Ukraine had just passed away, heartbreak over all that's happening. Her relatives all live or lived in, in Maripol of Ukraine. She sent pictures of the home that doesn't exist anymore, just destroyed, and we don't know where they are. And here this woman who's been a Christian for many years admitted I believe in God, but I'm finding it hard to go to him. Right now, he seems so angry to me. A couple hours after that, uh, received the an email from our good friend, Pastor Tim Shorey, where he shared that his cancer is, is terminal. Then a little later, uh, one of the pastors shared uh, with our, the team uh, of a marriage of a family in the church that just has blown up. All of this without even having to look at the news, what's going on in the world. We all have days like this, seasons like this. 
We believe in God. We are thankful for the gospel. Uh, but we struggle. How does God answer these realities that, that are just pressing in relentlessly upon our lives? Uh, and this morning our text helps us think through this. Hebrews 2, beginning verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that your word would have its full intended impact on our hearts, our minds, our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. We see in this passage that God rules over where it is all of this life is headed to. Verse 5 says that God subjected the world to come, and then he says, of which we are speaking. He is letting us know all that is being shared to us through the writer of Hebrews, all that he is talking about when he speaks of Christ exalted and of this great salvation and now of the subjection of the created world to him, we are speaking about a world to come. Our salvation is not detached from life, that God is dealing somehow in a spiritual way with us, and then separate from that, we have all these battles in life that may have some connection. God is letting us know through us where all of these are completely tied together. The rule of Christ, the exaltation of Christ, the gospel of Christ, which has saved us wonderfully, impacts, is involved with everything that happens to us. Our salvation is taking us somewhere. It is a part of where we're going. It dominates where we're headed and how we get there. Chapter 4 will describe this world to come as entering his rest. Indeed, that will become a, a strong theme. When not only all our troubles cease, 
the source of all troubles cease. Chapter 6 refers to it as the age to come, the time when the rule of Christ is full, complete, in that there are none who resist it and live outside of it. And we saw not long ago in 2 Peter in the last chapter that this world to come includes the new heaven and the new earth. A reality that will be unscarred by evil. Our salvation is taking us to a finality that touches every part of our life and this world. Nothing will be untouched by it. Now, these verses are, are bringing up, uh, at first it almost seems kind of jammed in a little bit with the flow, but there's a transition that is beginning to happen that over the next few chapters is just going to get stronger and stronger as we have the, the beginning emphasis on the exalted Christ and his salvation, and now we're going to, to see increasingly his care and commitment to us who are not exalted and who need a great salvation. His, his greatness and care us, a troubled and battered people. And so in verses 6 to 8, as he says, it's been testified somewhere. He, he's quoting from Psalm 8, which says, What is man, Lord, that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. It, in Psalm 8, this is a description of humanity, of the writer of the Psalms being amazed that when we think of how magnificent God is, why would he think of us? Why would God honor humanity? Why would God elevate humanity by his care for us, by his relationship with us? This quote is meant to show our special place in the heart of God and in the purposes of God. We are not advanced animals, some who have risen above the other beasts and managed to gain control over the world. We are specifically created as image bearers of God. It's important we see this. So I want us to look in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read verses 26 and 27 where this, this point is, is made strongly. In the creation account, we read, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In this concentrated section, he he makes the point over and over again. He doesn't just say it once that we kind of miss it as we go through the creation account and we miss this dramatic, essential point that then affects so much of our understanding of ourselves and of life. We are created in the image of God. There is something unusual, specific, wondrous about our creation. Not only are we created in the image of God, our salvation now brings us into, we who are rebels are now brought into this intimate relationship with our creator. In Romans 8, verses 14 to 17, the apostle Paul says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. This is no casual relationship. There's nothing distant, nothing remote in what is being conveyed to us by God's word about what we're saved into in our relationship with God. And verse 5 points out that not even the angels are spoken of in these ways. We're never told the angels are made in the image of God or that they are children of God. As magnificent of a creation and beings as they are, uh, what we saw not long ago uh, when Paul was preaching in verse 14 of chapter 1, are angels not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So how should we think of ourselves? Uh, a bigger question, uh, a healthier question perhaps, is how should we think about the way God thinks of us? How does God look upon us? What is in the heart and mind of God toward us? Which helps to correct so many distorted ways of thinking that come into our lives because of how we're treated in the world or by our experiences or just the, the hardship and we see first our worth. Our worth is given by God alone. 
He created us in his image. He saved us to be sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. Our worth is from God alone. Our worth is not by the opinion of anyone. It is not by the favor of anyone. It is not how you process your interaction and what else you read on either Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. None of those things have the slightest effect on your worth. Your value comes from God. And that, that's enough value. We are precious in his sight as we will see in the weeks to come for what we know Christ did for us. So how do we, how do we value other image bearers? Messy image bearers. Annoying image bearers. Image bearers who have wrong opinions. Also known as a different opinion than ours. How we think about the unborn who are to be preserved and valued not because Christians have some moral standing different from the world, but that God knits together every baby in the womb, each one made in the image of God. The one, the one reality that is never brought up in all of this harsh accusation and declarations about rights and choosing. Uh, let's start with, let's just start with the most foundational principle. How about we start with the very foundation? Start with each child knit together in the image of God. Now we can start talking about other things and, and see whether or not they have weight. How do we think about God? How do we think about God when he seems far? He, he may even seem angry, uncaring. How, how are we thinking of God? It, it should be based on what he says, not how we interpret life and he says we're made in his image. And he said he sent his son for us. And he said the great salvation of Christ is ours. And now you are my family, all who have believed. God wants us to see the value he places on us, even in the midst of brokenness, 
We exist to be in relationship with God. And yet, and yet, fellow believers, is it not true that time and interaction with God is often the first thing to go when we're busy and life becomes challenging? What do we jettison first? what the enemy wants us to get rid of first, what he presses in first. You don't have time to pray. You don't have time to read. You don't have time just to spend with God. You've got to get all this done. And so we, we step away from the most precious reality, the most needed reality for us to think clearly and live clearly. The most important person of all is the one we tend to neglect first. But you may still be coming back to all of this that we're saying of God and his heart toward us and what is true. We still come back to the point, but in the, the midst when the mountain is pressing on our chest, we just don't see this of Christ. That's part of what we see the second half of verse 8. At present... We do not see everything in subjection to him, meaning the position that God created us to have in this world. We don't see that we are precious and prominent. We don't see the reality of what God places to be in the world. Where is the rule of Christ? Where are the effects of this great salvation? It may be that we can see we're the most prominent beings in this world. We can see we're at the top of the food chain. But when it comes to humanity and how we're living in this world, to be blunted, it's a bit of a dumpster fire. We can't get along with our planet. We can't get along with each other. We have a hard time getting along with ourselves. Irritations, frustrations, complications. And that's just with me and Alexa. <laughs> I ask for a, a song, but she says, I don't have that, and then plays it. That's just attitude. Or I'm just talking with my grandkids on their device and we lose connection. And then, you know, I ask Alexa to, to call Jillian Patterson. Jillian Patterson is not in your contact list. Yes, she is. We were just talking to her. Or she just starts talking to you when you're not wanting to talk to her. I didn't talk to you. Or you ask her a question, now it's all this unneeded information. Oh, I can also, I didn't ask about that. All of this struggle with Alexa, and she's not even real. <laughs> it gets worse with real people. <laughs> yeah. 
Do you ever drive past or you're in the middle of Parkway summer weekend traffic and think, yep, that's my life. Just stuck. And so we we live discouraged or maybe worse in depression. Fear claws at us. Hopelessness starts to settle in. And that leads to just giving in to destructive behaviors and attitudes, addictive behaviors, drugs, alcohol, eating, spending. Or it, it leads, we're, we're so fearful, we're so concerned, we try to control people and situations, and we try to force fixes, and we push too hard, and try to be too controlling, and that doesn't work either. And it just keeps getting worse. It's important that we recognize what it is we're actually seeing. What is it that we are seeing when we experience what it is we experience? And so whether it's all those things I experienced on Monday, the injustice of this woman imprisoned, whether it's the horror of war in Ukraine, cancer spreading in someone you love, relational strife. Uh, these are all our contributions to the world. They were not in what God created good. What we are not seeing in our troubles and in the ugliness of the world, we are not seeing a God who is vindictive. We are not seeing that God is inattentive. We are seeing the price of what verse 1 of this chapter warned us against when you drift away from God. When we neglect this great salvation. That's what we are seeing we are seeing the results of humanity created in, in the likeness of God, in the goodness of his garden, in the goodness of relationship, and our resenting it and throwing it off and going our way. And it can never turn out well. Ever. Ever. In any way. Can it turn out well when we rebel against God who is good? And yet, even here, in all our neglect and in all the messiness we experience, even here, as the scripture acknowledges what it is we see and don't see, even here, 
hope is proclaimed. Verse 9, but we do see something. We see someone. We see him. Who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. God here has his answer to us for every burden, no matter what it is. Here's God's answer for whatever your heaviness is, whatever your battle is, whatever your frustration is, whatever your hurt is. Here is God's answer to it. Look to Jesus. That's what he says. That's what he gives us. Look to Jesus. The rest of our time, just four comments about this. What is it we see when we look to Jesus? First, when we look to Jesus, we see God is aware of your troubles. Verse 9, he was made lower than the angels. Verse 18, he himself has suffered. The exalted Christ, he humbled himself to be born of flesh, made lower than the angelic beings. He, he humbled himself, entered this world, and suffered. He sees he understands. He is aware. Jesus came because we're under a crushing burden. This is how Jesus describes the, the beginning of his public ministry in Luke 4. This is how he describes it, quoting from the Old Testament. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to Proclaim good news to the poor. Set me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind. Set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus declared, the anointing of God is upon me because you are a people burdened and I can set you free. Jesus, he can actually Feel the weight upon you. He knows what it feels like. He knows every bit of pain. Verse 14, since the children, since we share flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. And we're going to be seeing this over and over again, what Jesus endured and knows so that when we say he stands for us, he's someone who understands. He will not neglect you because he cannot, he cannot keep you out of his heart. 
you brothers and sisters of his, which we see next week. Secondly, when we look to Jesus, we see his commitment to us. We see how he is aware, how he cares, how he understands. We see his commitment. Verse 9, Jesus suffered and tasted death for everyone. He also tasted guilt and shame and pressures and sorrow and pain and betrayal and slander on the way to tasting death. Jesus did not shy away when any of those things came to him. When it was time to endure any of those things, Jesus didn't shirk anything that was required for him to be an appropriate sacrifice and for him to die for us. He drank the whole cup of what was required. And what was required? The Bible says the wage of our sin is death. It goes on to say it is the wrath of God that is against all unrighteousness in men. We are facing God's justice, his wrath, an eternity of hell. And God, seeing our helplessness, entered the world, became man lived a perfect life so that he was worthy to die on the cross and he took our guilt and paid in full what we owe God for our sin. And whoever trusts in him, confessing our sin and saying, Christ, save me, his answer is always, yes, I will, completely and forever. It is his answer to Everyone who honestly comes and says, Lord, save me. Jesus, who died to save you, never loses his intensity in keeping you, in preserving you. Third, when we look to Jesus, we see he is victorious over all that troubles us. Verse 9, Jesus is now crowned with glory and honor. This speaks to the magnitude of his victory over our brokenness, his victory over sin, his victory over death, his victory over the world, his victory over Satan. He is victorious over everything that causes our burden. And to say he is now crowned declares he is sovereign now. He exercises sovereignty over all that is. And fourthly, when we look to Jesus, we see our future is safe in his hands. Verse 8 said, At present, 
we do not yet see. We do not yet see all things are in subjection. We do not yet see. We don't see how Christ is sovereign over all things. But one day we will. What we read in scripture of the day when it says all creatures on earth and heaven and hell, that all of them will bow and cry out, he is Lord, he is Lord. Whether they love him, whether they're demons, whether it is Satan themselves, at the appearing of the glorified Christ, no one will be able to withhold to declare he is Lord. That one day for us will be history it will be the event we remember. We were there. We heard it. We saw it. We were there. This is not just some description the Bible gives. This is telling us what will happen. And it is rushing toward us. As we who are a little older are realizing. Time's not as slow as little kids think. We will see it in full. And upon us will fall what Ephesians 1 describes as all or every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every good grace of God will be ours. Every single one. The graces that only God is capable of giving and being. Do you find it hard to look beyond your burdens? I do sometimes. I have many times. wrench your eyes off of yourself and the situation and the running of the list. Place our eyes on the one who is present there in it. He's the only one wearing a crown. There's only one wearing the crown. There will only be one on the throne. It's not the source of your troubles. It's the source of your salvation. He is the only one with the final say. Final say. Don't, don't glance at him. Oh, it didn't work. Don't glance at him. Gaze. Fix your attention on him and keep it fixed and begin declaring and speaking to him. Begin reading of him, thinking of him, singing of him. Fill your heart with him until God begins to bring rest. How long does that take? However long. Once your heart is full, then never look away. 
Would you pray? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you who see right now what is in every heart and mind, every struggle, whether it is new and fresh and painful, whether it is long and resentful, whether it is heavy and enduring, you see it all and you speak about it all and you are greater than it all. Help us to see you, to see that. Give grace to us for this because you know how we struggle with it. And may we live focused on this that we might be an encouragement to one another in this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.